You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. Available free on iTunes. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And today we continue the theme of this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, finding community in a dynamic city. UW Football Hall of Famer Greg Lewis shares some of his community work at the Meredith Matthews YMCA. And then Cecile Andrews talks about her circle of simplicity and the work she is doing to bring small groups together for conversation. Each of these interviews offer some interesting tidbits of history and give perspectives on where Seattle has been and where it is going. Before we get to these interviews, don't miss your chance to catch my documentary, On the Brink. It looks at the changes in Seattle's Central District and a story of history, hope, and determination. It is playing at the Neptune Theater on Thursday, August 15th at 8 p.m. There will be sounds from local DJ It's Trent and a special performance from the talented Adra Boo from Fly Moon Royalty. You can meet several members of the On the Brink cast as they engage in a panel discussion about carrying forward the legacy of the Central District following the film. Many thanks to Seattle Theater Group for hosting this evening. Again, that's August 15th at the Neptune Theater in the U District. Visit www.onthebrinkmovie.com for more details. Speaking of the Central District, Greg Lewis is doing amazing community-building work in this neighborhood as Executive Director of the Meredith Matthews East Madison YMCA. To hear his perspective on the changes in Seattle and what he's doing to build a sense of community, join me as I sit down with Greg Lewis. I'm here with Greg Lewis. He is a UW Football Hall of Famer, the first Doak Walker Award winner in the country, which is awarded to the best running back in the country. But more importantly now, he is uh, not only a Hall of Famer in the football field at UW, but a Hall of Famer in the community <laughs> as the executive director at the Meredith Matthews East Madison YMCA. Greg, thank you for joining me today. Jeff, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come here and talk a little bit about uh, what I'm doing and the work that the YMCA is doing in our community. So thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So we're here, as you said, to talk about finding community, building community mm -hmm. in a dynamic city. The city is changing right. dramatically. But first, I've asked all my guests, what brought you to Seattle? So back in uh, the early, early 70s, my mom uh, had uh, actually been out to Seattle previous, met my dad, returned back home to northern Florida where she's from. And when my dad uh, got out of Vietnam, he joined my mom in Florida and they were there briefly, but he wanted to come back to Seattle. My mom didn't. And uh, when he left, she, he had left her little bundle of joy that they weren't aware of until later, but they decided to divorce anyway. My mom stayed in northern Florida till I was about five years old. And the town that she's from, uh, Port St. Joe, uh, there's not a lot there. I mean, just a really small, small, segregated Southern community. You can imagine back in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, a lot of, uh, of obstacles in raising a family down there. So she decided to move back to Seattle. So she brought us to Seattle when I was about five years old. And um, where the Meredith Matthews East Madison YMCA is, most folks know Central District, kind of borderline in Capitol Hill. Uh, we lived in that area. And I went to Stevens Elementary School just uh, down the street from Meredith Matthews for about half a year before we migrated to South Seattle. So we were only in the Central District for uh, a little less than a year and then moved to South Seattle. And uh, I grew up in a 98118 area code for most of my life. And strangely enough, as an adult now, I've moved back there after living other places. So uh, I've been in Seattle 
other than the four years that I spent in uh, Denver playing football for the Broncos, uh, the majority of my life. So I'm definitely a Seattleite, and Seattle and the community means a lot to me. So you've been here for decades, mm-hmm. and from my perspective, the last seven years roughly has been just transformational for Seattle uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the n- amount of money and, and right. people moving into the city. What changes in these last seven years have you found most striking? Well, I think um, sort of the, based on the work that I've been doing um, in this community for probably the last five or six years, um, working in nonprofit, I worked for the Boys and Girls Club of King County. Uh, for three and a half years, and now I've been with the YMCA for about two and a half years. Um, Just the dynamics of the community, um, like you said, it went from uh, probably uh, a medium income community to where you have individuals coming in from who are working at uh, Amazons and Googles who are bringing the economic level up, but it's changed the dynamic of the community makeup, especially ethnically, um, culturally, socially, uh, I've seen these things, you know, happening for many, many years. So the last seven, although they may be striking uh, with all the wealth that's come in because of the tech companies, um, I've seen just a slow trend and transition of the neighborhood that uh, I was a part of as a little kid. My grandmother lived in the Central District forever. Um, it's been, you know, real stark. The, the types of businesses that are there changed. Um, the uh, the social and cultural, you know, organizations have changed. Uh, so I've seen just a lot happen over the last seven years. And so now let's talk about what you're doing uh, in this nonprofit space, you know, mm-hmm. with the Meredith Matthews right. YMCA. Mm-hmm. First, what inspired you to join mm-hmm. the YMCA team and even maybe take a step back? You know, mm-hmm. you're Hall of Fame on the football mm-hmm. field, you know, mm-hmm. play for the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. name recognition, lots of things you could do with your life. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing with the YMCA? And then why were you doing mm-hmm. it even before with nonprofits, boys and girls clubs, so on? Initially, uh, like a lot of guys, when I got out of the NFL, I joined the corporate wor- world and, you know, was running the rat race and, you know, trying to move up in different industries and businesses and um, had some success. You know, I was raising my family. I have uh, two daughters uh, that are 30 and 25 and now I have an eight-year-old son uh but um I think at some point um that corporate rat race kind of felt not genuine and not really who I was um and then the University of Washington my alma mater actually came and recruited me away to work in the athletic department and my role there was to support current student athletes to help raise money to support student athlete scholarships to connect student athletes to former student athletes who could help them socialize, grow, um, because the majority of them aren't going to play professional sports, to have a career and a life outside of football. So I think there I sort of got into a career of helping other people, and I enjoyed it. That was really more germane to who I was and who I am, I think, just as an individual and the way my mom raised me. And from there I ended up working on upper campus uh, in scholarships and student programs, and my focus there was to work with the Office of Minority Affairs and Diversity to create programs, scholarships, internships, um, study abroad opportunities for students who came from low income and uh, economically disadvantaged and underrepresented minority communities. So I think there I really dove into um, community building work, work that um, was socially around helping other people and helping them have success in their lives. Um, And then I got recruited away again 
to the Boys and Girls Clubs of King County to uh, be a C-suite executive in a nonprofit that uh, is a large national nonprofit doing a lot of great work. I enjoyed that my time there. YMCA opportunity came along and the Meredith Matthews YMCA is unique to me uh, because it's a part of my history. I grew up, like I said, in South Seattle, um, central area, and that's where most people of color learned how to swim when I was growing up. I almost drowned one day, had to take swim lessons, so my mom took me to Meredith Matthews to learn how to swim and began my relationship with that organization. Um, now, working with the YMCA, I have a link to the history of Meredith Matthews and really why Meredith Matthews even exists in the first place. The YMCA has a um, long history, obviously. We're celebrating 175 years as an organization worldwide this year. Um, but the relationship with Seattle and the Central District community began in 1936. And it was created to be the YMCA to serve people of color. It was the first YMCA in the state of Washington where people of color could have something in their community and become members and utilize the services that the YMCA provides. And so for me, it uh, means a lot to be a part of that legacy and that history uh, because it's intricately connected to me and my family. Was it the only YMCA that was located near where African-Americans were living or were African-Americans not allowed in, in the other YMCAs? Yeah. So... Um, Kind of twofold, I think. <laughs> um, one, the if you look at Seattle historically um, and where families of color lived, um, there were covenants and redlining and all those things that kept most of the African-Americans who could buy homes and raise their families uh, in the central district, the central, the CD, as it was called back in those days. And primarily most of the families of color were concentrated in that area, as we, you know, most of us know. And so there was no YMCA that was in a community that really had a lot of people of color at that time. Um, I don't think there was a ban. There was never a ban that folks of color couldn't come into the YMCA. There were just no YMCAs and services around large number of families of color. And there was actually a debate originally on whether they opened one in the central district or in the international district um, at the time where there were a lot of Asian families and the internment of World War II of a lot of Japanese citizens who were taken sort of out of the community and the influx of African-Americans who were coming into the community to help fight in the war effort, working for Boeing as uh, on the assembly lines, shifted the community size of the African-American community to out, you know, to be a lot larger than the Asian community. So that's why they decided because they couldn't they didn't have enough money or infrastructure to build two. So they built one in the central district. Um, and that was just really where the concentration of African-American families was. You've talked about the legacy of the Meredith Matthews East Madison YMCA. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the importance of community to you. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the, how you're as executive director at, mm -hmm. at that branch, working to build community. Mm -hmm. what, what are you doing? So our our mission at the YMCA is the building a community where all people, especially the young, are encouraged to develop their fullest potential in spirit, mind, and body. That is our mission. And our slogan is, and, and I just use the word slogan, but we strengthen communities. That's what a Y is there to do. So um, historically, this YMCA was to support um, families of color. And Initially, it was sort of a place for when uh, African-American soldiers were coming back from the war effort, could get services, a meal, 
a place to stay, sort of be integrated into the community. Um, in the 1950s, uh, a leader who had been out in the Northwest named Meredith Matthews, whom we're named after now, had been working at YMCA's out in the Midwest, doing a lot of innovative programming with young people and helping them develop and becoming leaders um, and that next generation of folks who uh, would build strong communities. So he was brought out to work at the Meredith Matthews YMCA to distinctly bring those types of programs to our Y um, many years ago. Like I said, in the 1950s, he was there from 57 to 65. Um, now, at a certain uh, point in time, the YMCA at Meredith Matthews, it was just called the East Mass at that time, was really thriving. We had youth development programs. Um, and if you look at a lot of our leaders in Seattle today, our Larry Gosses and Bruce Harrells and just name after name, a lot of them had interaction, went to programs and, you know, used the YMCA at Meredith Matthews as a place to develop their passion for leadership, their passion for um, excellence. And throughout the years, um, even our cultural history taps into Meredith Matthews. A lot of uh, back in those early 30s and 40s, the music scene in Seattle was really thriving, but it was segregated. And so a lot of the performers had to hone their craft and performed at the Meredith Matthews YMCA names like Quincy Jones, like Ray Charles, like Ernestine Anderson. They're just a, a few. There were many band leaders and um, famous singers that really came out of that uh, era during that time. So you had that history. Now we Fast forward to where we are today, where the community's turned over, has changed. Um, that base of African-American families and culture and history have sort of gone. It, they've migrated out of the central area because of the cost of living and all these things. So what I'm trying to do at the Meredith Matthews YMCA is sort of restore uh, a sense of this being a place where we can still have a incubator for African-American or people of color leadership, um, cultural development, his, history. Uh, and the reason I say that um, is people may go, well, folks don't live in that community anymore, so why are you doing it there? Well, where does the black community live? It's a diaspora now. They're all spread out. So if we're all spread out, there still has to be a place where we can come together. And you may have to get in your car and drive a little ways, but I want the Meredith Matthews YMCA because it has that history of supporting and grooming and being an incubator and um, trying to uh, create, you know, that excellence in the African-American community and communities of color to still be that. And if not us, you know, where? Because I don't think there's a place anymore you could set up or build a Y where you could say you're in the black community now. Because I think it's so spread out. It's in Kent, it's in Federal Way, it's in Graham, it's in Puyallup. There's no real um, place where you could, you know, have the mass. So I think Meredith Matthews could still be that place. And do you want to talk specifically about some of the programs that you're doing, not just to uh, help somebody achieve their, their own potential, but to bring people together and help them see other people uh, that they can connect with? Right now, we, we we have a few programs, and my reason for coming to Meredith Matthews is to bring even more programs and to um, increase uh, the number of programs that once serve underrepresented uh, individuals or folks who uh, are just don't have the resources, but also, as you said, to sort of bring 
a, a, a microcosm of folks together so we can have dialogue, so we can have um, interaction, so that we can, you know, bring together communities that are just inherently divided right now. It's, uh, you know, our country is in a, at a place right now where I think division is um, more prevalent than ever, or, or, or we're going backwards as it relates to communities coming together. So um, right now we have just as it supports young people because the Y does have a focus there. We have a program called Y Scholars and Y Scholars is a um, program that's in a couple of our high schools, including Garfield, which is right down the street from Meredith Matthews uh, YMCA. Each year we bring in a cohort of scholars and young people who have the potential um, to strive for academic excellence. And the goal of Y Scholars is to um, get them the support, the resources, um, the materials, the encouragement around them uh, uh, with opportunities uh, to allow them to achieve success, to engage in the uh, AP classes that are at the high schools that sometimes our kids just don't get an opportunity to get into and we make a pathway for them. And the hope is, is that as we develop um, young people who have a thirst for knowledge and leadership, that they'll take that mantra on and help the next generation uh, of kids. And that's, you know, something you saw in the past, you know, a guy like Larry Gossett, who is a member at the Meredith Matthews YMCA right now, but uh, he graduated from Franklin High School, I believe. He came to the University of Washington at a time where there were like 80 some odd African-Americans on campus out of thousands. And him and the Black Student Union um, took over the president's office, had a sit-in, and they changed the University of Washington. So that's what I think programs like the scholars can do, or when we give young people an opportunity to engage in leadership development, they're able to become change makers. And Larry Gossett, because of the legacy that him and many other people, I just use him because I know him well, and he uh, is a member at Meredith Matthews, the University of Washington now has an African-American or an uh, ethnic studies program and requirement. Um, the university started hiring professors of color. Uh, the enrollment, uh, outreach and recruitment uh, exploded, and it went from 80 some odd to thousands of students of color to this day. And so that's, you know, the type of programming that the YMCA can and has done throughout history uh, to make an impact on communities. How have you felt seeing this unfold? Well, for me, it's, um, I think, an opportunity to do something that's bigger than yourself. And um, as I said, since I kind of got out of the NFL, I've wandered around for a while to figure out who am I? What do I want to do? And what legacy do I want to leave? And this sort of fits me, uh, I believe, because um, I, I don't want to, at the end of the day, oh, he was a great football player. He's a Hall of Fame football player. To me, football is just something I did. It's not who I am. And who I am, I hope, is a person who um, is a change maker, who um, has uh an idea that the greater good is bigger than just what I can do for myself or for my own individual family. And so I go to work every day trying to think about how can we really impact 
people's lives and change their lives for the better. And that's not just people who are uh, underserved or underprivileged, but I think um, by enriching folks' lives, even if they have wealth and they have resources and all that, but if we're able to enrich their lives by exposing them to something they're not familiar with, um, it enriches their lives and their existence as well. And then hopefully those individuals uh, will sort of link arms, you know, with other folks and try to make positive and productive change and, and gains for everybody. I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound soapboxy or anything like that, uh, but I don't want to leave here and not have left a mark uh, in a positive way and not for the sake of it being on my headstone, but for the sake of there actually being real change left behind. You know, we all leave kids and grandkids or, or nieces and nephews and all of that behind when we go. And I want things to be better for them than it was for me. And just like my mom and my grandparents, and my aunts and uncles wanted things to be better for me than it was for them. And I think the why is uniquely positioned uh, to serve in that area. And that's why I'm at the why, because they're so community focused. They're right in the middle of the community. They recruit folks from the community to come work and serve there, to be on boards, to help lead it. You know, my board are folks from the community who work there, live there, and they sort of have the pulse of what's going on and what the needs of the community are. So we can kind of come together. All right, if this is the need, what's the solution? All right, this is the solution. How do we get the resources to make the solution come to pass? And that's the power of the YMCA. It's the people who are right there in the community talking and engaging and figuring out what needs to be done. And then the YMCA can help create programs that'll address the issue, help galvanize volunteers that can do something to address the issue. We will go to our uh, elected leaders, those who are in our community and ask them to make change. And we can bring together the power of the community to really make a difference. And that's why, you know, I really believe in the YMCA movement so much. You know, when I was interviewing, uh, I was interviewing at a couple of other places as well, but just that power and the fact that it's right there in the community and it's grass rooted and, 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 and based there makes a lot of difference to me. And it gives them really the power to make change. And you're experiencing something that a lot of organizations and businesses here in Seattle mm-hmm. are kind of wrestling with mm-hmm. where you've got a rich legacy and mm-hmm. something that you want to carry forward, but you've got a, a rapidly changing right. world all around you. Yeah. Any lessons that you've learned in the last two years that you would recommend other community organizations or businesses or even just individuals as we're navigating, mm-hmm. holding on to the past, but launching yeah. into the future? Well, one, we got to figure out what is the bridge that connects the two. And sometimes uh, that bridge is recognizing the history, um, paying tribute to it, um, trying to um, save what is savable, And then, um, get the, the, the connect that to the new community and ask them to appreciate. Um, and as we build together, you know, to recognize what was here before and celebrate it, but then continue to move and grow uh, as progress always does. You know, um, I don't think there's a desire for us to, you know, stall progress or to turn back the clock necessarily, but I think we do have an opportunity to acknowledge and recognize and um, 
link arms with the past and help bring that to the future. Like I said, there, there are so many issues in our community today that were the same issues 50, 60, 70 years ago. And if we can all work on those together at a place like the YMCA or other organizations uh, to create a greater, greater good for everybody, I think that's what will help us. Because I think sometimes people feel like progress um, comes to get rid of the past and say the past wasn't good or, or the things that were there before, you know, weren't cool. But I think if we acknowledge those things and link arms with them and then try to help improve for everybody, you know, that, that brings everybody into a space of, you know, Hey, you know, it's progress, but let's see what we can do with it. All right. So linking the past and the present, we've got a lot of sports fans listening mm -hmm. to this podcast since we did a yeah. whole season on the Sonics. Uh, talk about the feelings yeah. of taking the field at the Rose Bowl sure. and then link that to the feelings you get when you're seeing some of the programs that you're launching mm -hmm. at the YMCA take hold. Wow. OK, I never thought about it in that context. But uh, as a football player, you have certain goals and ultimately most of those goals hopefully are team oriented. They're not just about you. They're about um, the success of the team. And everybody has a role to play on a team. And I think your teammates hold you accountable to hold up your end of the bargain to make sure we get to where we're going. And so when you achieve something, ultimately, like winning the Pac-10, going to the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, you know, Keith Jackson, the famous announcers announcing the game on ABC television and everybody excited and there's a hundred thousand plus people in the stadium, it becomes sort of an awesome, you know, realization of something that you set out to do and now you're doing it. And there's no better feeling, I think, sometimes than when you've accomplished this goal, especially when it's not just you by yourself celebrating it. You're celebrating it with a hundred other guys that every day you went through the drills with and lifted the weights and running into guys and getting tackled and going through rehab. And so all of it becomes worthwhile at that moment. And so that's what you feel when you run out in that stadium. And then the history of the granddaddy of all, you know, some of the greatest players who've ever played the game were out on this field in this same game. And now you're here. So you're like, wow, am I, you know, going to be one of those guys that young kids think about, you know, 20, 30 years from now when they make it. So I think all of that sort of is a, an overwhelming feeling. The way I would link that to where I'm at the Y now is because as we, you know, get together with my leadership and develop programs and develop opportunities for young people to be successful, to bring communities together that maybe didn't know each other. We have this potluck we do uh, once a month uh, where we just invite everybody to bring food and come and have conversation. And that potluck, different races, ethnicities, ages, religions. I mean, you just have a hodgepodge of folks. Sometimes we'll theme it. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about cultural foods and people bring foods that come from their different cultures. So when we all come together and we kind of, you know, have this successful symbiotic relationship and vibe going on and people are walking through the door and you see people who you know wouldn't be linked any other way having conversation at your YMCA because we provided this space and we provided this environment, um, it makes you feel, you know, sort of similar to that success that you had because I know with my team, you know, every day we're talking about, you know, what sort of things should we 
could we be doing? What could we be doing better? How do we serve our customers better who are members, but also how do we do this mission work better every single day? And, you know, so there's definitely a sense of pride and success when you see that happening organically at the YMCA, even though, you know, there was a lot of work behind the scenes to create that work. If somebody is moved by what you're doing, uh, how could they get involved? How could they help? And who could help? Well, everybody can help. The YMCA is a community organization. We thrive off volunteers. That's really what helps us move our organization. So find out where the local YMCA is in your neighborhood and just go down there and tell them you want to volunteer. That's all it takes. And it is really a welcoming place. Everybody, no matter where you're from, what your capabilities are, um, what your perspectives are, they'll all be honored there. They'll all be respected. And we'll find a place uh, to have you help us do the work that we're doing. That's so important. Any concluding thoughts? Um, just because we're on a, a podcast by a UW professor, I'm going to say go dogs. You can catch me on Como Radio AM 1000 three hours before kickoff at all the Husky football games uh, this year. So uh, look forward to uh, you guys listening to me there. All right, Greg, thank you very much for your time and perspective. I appreciate it. Thank you. Next up, I speak to author Cecile Andrews, who is a community organizer in the Finney Ridge, Greenwood area, known as Finneywood. But first, I want to say thank you to Far Away Entertainment. They are hosting my documentary, On the Brink, on Sunday, September 8th, at the historic Admiral Theater. The Admiral Theater on California Avenue in West Seattle plays home to the biggest blockbusters and independent fare. It's a charming venue, and I am thrilled that Far Away Entertainment is opening its doors to welcome you for a special screening of On the Brink, which was touted by the Seattle Times as a cautionary tale and a call to action in the face of Seattle's rapid growth. Tickets can be purchased at www.onthebrinkmovie.com and mark your calendars for the evening of September 8th and get your tickets before it's too late. Now, to hear a perspective from the Finneywood neighborhood on growth, change, and community, join me as I sit down with Cecile Andrews. I am here with Cecile Andrews. She's the author of Circle of Simplicity, and she is here today because she is a community organizer, bringing groups together for discussions five times a week sometimes, right? So, uh, Cecile, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, so we're going to talk about your community organizing and what you're doing to bring people together. Before we get there, what brought you to Seattle? Well, I went to high school here in Seattle. And then for a while, we went down and lived in the Bay Area. We went to Stanford and we came back because there was what we discovered was even though we loved the weather down there, there was no substitute for old friends. And we got attached to a sense of place. And it was like, I used to get nostalgic for Green Lake. I just get homesick for Green Lake. So we came back. And so you were drawn to a sense of place. You returned home to here in Seattle. And in these last seven years or so, Seattle has changed. The place has right. changed dramatically. Right. What changes in Seattle's transformation have you found most striking? Well, not being able to get any place easily. And, and, and the other thing is, is like, you know, in the simplicity movement, we always ask the question, how much is enough? How much stuff do you need? How much money do you need? And, and it occurred to me, we should be asking in Seattle, how big is enough? And that people should be contributing to say, that's it. We don't want any more people. I don't care if the developers are going to make a lot of money. We don't want them here. But of course, we're not doing that yet. And, and our politicians aren't listening to us because we've been really fighting a lot of that in the Finneywood area. 
Um, and so, you know, like everybody else, it's impossible to get around. And so we felt, let's organize here in our community. We don't have to go anyplace. You know, I can get every place by walking. And, and so what is Finney Wood? Finney and Greenwood. And Finney used to be the more interesting place, and Greenwood not as much. But now Greenwood is more interesting, and so we put it together, Finney Wood. What do you think of the changes in Greenwood? Because that's been dramatic. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 you're right. And so a lot of us spend a lot more time in Greenwood than we used to because of the restaurants, and particularly Cooth Buzzard, the little bookstore. It's a used bookstore, but it has activities all day long. It has our groups. It has at night. It has music. It has all sorts of things. And so we really, really love that place. And I don't know what would happen if somebody wanted to come in and tear it down and, and build a, you know, a huge spot. So, um, yeah, Greenwood is, is great. It's great now. And, and so let's talk about Circle of Simplicity and, and how that's connected to what you're doing in the community. Tell me about the book and then tell me a little bit about what you're doing to bring people together. Well, I did a Circle of Simplicity a long time ago. But the idea of voluntary simplicity was particularly popular here in Seattle. And we had all sorts of study circles, which is the thing that I focus on. And this is bringing people together in small groups to talk. And I was many, again, many years ago, I went to a place called Highlander. And Highlander is where Rosa Parks had been trained before she took her historic step. And I went there because I was working with the American Friends Service Committee, a Quaker organization, and they took us to all these places, and they took us to Highlander, and the whole thing of Highlander was you bring people together to talk, and they will find the answers. That if you want change, that you bring people together and have, they're the experts. And I had always planned on being a teacher, but I was going to be a typical teacher standing up in front of the classroom, lecturing, giving grades, getting them to compete. But this literally changed my life, to see these people, and it was all civil rights, they were very active all through the 60s, and see them bringing people together to talk, and that people learned that they had the answers, it wasn't some expert. And so that's really what always motivates me, to bring people together, give them something to talk about. And so when we talk about simplicity, we think of that as the really the deliberative life, the conscious life of making conscious choices. And too often in our culture, we just do what's expected of us because we're so busy that we get manipulated easily. So we always try to find a way, what's the question today uh, and, and how, how can you answer it yourselves in your own experience? So that's what all my groups are always that. And so everybody gets to talk a lot and I don't talk as much. And so you're bringing at least five groups together weekly now. Yeah. How did you take the first steps to just get two people in the room, three people in the room, right, get people talking right. together in person? I know. We've got some other organizations. There's one organization called Communities Rising that some of us got together and put together, and we have a monthly lecture. And with the Communities Rising, we wanted to have an outreach into the, no the neighborhood. And so we decided to call it the People's Think Tank. And we decided it would be totally political. So we spend time each week trying to figure out what to do. So that's one of them from Communities Rising. And then there's something that's called The Village. And I don't know if you've ever heard of The Village. But this is something I, it's, it, it's like, it's associated with the Finney Neighborhood Association, the, the Finney Center. And this has to do particularly with people getting older who do not want to go into some home. They want to stay in their own houses. So this, is, this started about 15 years ago in Boston and swept across the country of people 
forming this organization to get together to kind of like combat ageism for one. So I do a couple through that. And so they have their own outreach and the Finney Neighborhood Center has its own outreach. Uh, and so that's how people usually hear about it. But then people hear word of mouth. And so like one of them, uh, I was having it on Thursday morning at 10.30 and it was getting to be like about 20 people. Well, that's too big for a conversation. So we split it. So we had it 9.30 and 10.30 and now they're both getting too big. And so we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do. And I think that, you know, it says that people wanna talk. They wanna come together, talk about the things that are important to them, get to know the other people. And, and so, um, trying to think, what is another one? We've got the People's Think Tank, we've got that was called Conversation and the News of the Day. And then we have the one on Voluntary Simplicity. And then we have another one at the local bank, again, I love that, um, that's Understanding Happiness. And so we come in and we talk about what does the research say about happiness? Then we ask people to talk about what they're doing in their own lives. So it's always very specific. It's always talking about what are you doing in your life what do you want to do in your life? How have you found the people that are willing to share their time and their ideas on uh, how to become happier, how to uh, stay in their homes? You know, how how do you how are you getting people to, to show up? Well, they they come because they've signed up you know, to come to this group, and then I usually have one question for them, and that takes the the next hour and a half. And so we never have guest speakers or anything. We just always have one question. So with happiness, we like one of the biggest, biggest things that research has found is the most important thing is people connecting with each other, a sense of community. And so we will talk about, well, what are you doing to connect with other people? What are you doing to create community? And then to analyze our culture, why is it we have a culture that, that people are torn apart, that they're not together and that that with the, the research showing that you know depression and anxiety and suicide are going up in our culture. And so we talk about what we can do to build community for ourselves and for our local surrounding community. So there's always plenty to say. Okay. Yeah. And so with plenty to say, uh, what have you learned through your peers and through this interaction that might help somebody who's feeling lost and alone in this city. So yeah, maybe right. they saw people move away or maybe they're they're just arriving here. What have you learned that could help them? Well, people can go on something like Meetup and find, I mean, there are lots of organizations and things happening. And the biggest thing is to say to yourself, I'm going to do this and I'm gonna keep trying it. A lot of people will try something once and not go back because it's not easy. And everybody talks about the Seattle freeze and I'll ask periodically people, well, do you think this exists, the Seattle freeze? Almost everybody says yes. And we just had somebody came back from a trip to France and they said, oh, people there were so much friendlier than here. And they, as they travel around the world, because this is a pretty affluent group of people and they're going someplace, they find that we're, we're hard to talk to in Seattle. So you've got to find a place and then you have to go and commit to do it. Or the other thing we encourage people to do is, you know, all your, your whole day, just talk to people. Talk to the person in the grocery line. Talk to the person in the bus line. Talk to the person that you're sitting next to. And, and I just saw something in the Washington Post this week. It was a guy who started something and he called it um, the conversation bench. And so he put a little sign on it and it said, conversation bench, sit here if you're willing for other people to talk to you. 
And people, he came back later, people were sitting and talking. And so then somebody put it on Facebook and that spread around to different uh, states and now it's going around the world. So I'm going to try that. We've got a new park right next to the Greenwood Library. And we've got a, we've got a, a, a place to sit there and I'm gonna put a little sign and see um, you know, who will come. But again, um, you know, in Seattle, it's hard for people to do it. We're, we're, we're not very good at reaching out and talking. I think it's because we're cold and covering ourselves up most of the time. Because when we lived in California, people talked a lot more, but they were out and there was sun, and so it was easier for people to talk. And you've put a lot of effort into helping people have these conversations around a variety of topics. How have you felt seeing the reactions of the people coming and seeing people continue to come week after week? Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that when we talk about happiness, one of the, first we talk about one of the main things is community. Then is calling is one of the main things that people need. And so many of us almost feel like what we're doing is kind of a calling, that bringing conversations first to ourselves and then going out and talking some more. And one of my favorite quotes uh, by John Dewey, an American philosopher, is, democracy is born in conversation. It's born in conversation because it brings you together, it has critical thinking, it has civic engagement. And so I think all of us involved in this feel we're not just indulging ourselves, that we're creating something that's good for the culture, that we need to come together. And so as I say, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to you know, change things politically now. And, um, and then we go out and then we come back and we, we talk about what we've done and then we get encouragement or say, well, you know, if it didn't go well, why don't you try this? Um, in our simplicity circle, it's interesting because that's really focused on people doing something for climate change in the long run. You know, consuming less, um, spending less time, um, doing things that, that, you know, driving around, um, flying less, all of those things. And so people talk about that. So it's more than just enjoying yourself. It's feeling like I'm really doing something for civic engagement in this town because they'll go from our talks out and talk to other people about it. As I say, they keep growing. And do you have any other lessons from your experience um, bringing these people together and having these uh, conversations that are enriching your soul? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because what we find is, is when we start talking, we will start almost arguing with each other. Like right now, who do you support for president? Well, one person will say one thing and another person will start arguing. And I said, you know, why not say, um, yeah, yeah, I could see why you might like him or her, but the person I want is, you know, and, and not make it into like a competition, like I'm gonna win. So I worry that even those of us who are, think practically, you know, identically, are going to start fighting with each other as well. And, and, and then people just stay away. So we really work on, on how can we talk together and not you know, argue or compete. One, I'm gonna be the winner in this conversation. No, we try to think of conversation as a, um, not a battle, but a barn raising. That we're coming together to put something together with each other, not to be the winner. It's really hard not to try to be the winner in this culture, because that's what we do. Tell me a little bit about interactions that, that happen at, at these meetings. Well, the biggest thing is that we spend a lot of time laughing. 
You know, we're, we're serious about what we're talking about, but if we don't laugh about things, we don't come back. And so that's a really important part of it, that people go away feeling like, oh, they've seen their friends, they've had a good time, they've gotten to laugh, they've gotten to enjoy themselves. And it's not like, oh God, I better go today. And so enjoying ourselves is, is key. So you're doing community organizing in Finneywood, as you call it, Finney Ridge and Greenwood. And just a few years ago, uh, my understanding is there was a, an explosion uh, that had a pretty big impact in the Greenwood area. Could you tell me a little bit about what happened and how the community responded to that? Yeah, it, everybody felt like, you know, coming together. And so they gave everybody a lot of money. The Finney Neighborhood Association gave money. And a lot of us gave to Cooth Buzzard because they had to have a new window put in. But um, it was money raised from the surrounding community. And that's what they needed. And what did you learn from seeing the reaction to the explosion? I guess that, you know, that we've got to really take care of our places. It's almost like a symbolic thing. Look, everything could blow up. And we're all worried that, again, you know, they're going to come in, they're going to get rid of these buildings, and they're going to put up a huge apartment building. And some of us, like I'm on the Finney Ridge Community Council, have really been fighting all of this. And it's like we have no power in the face of the developers. And so that's, that's really caused a lot of concern that we're not listened to. And so um, we worry a lot. And so it's, it's, it's not like smooth sailing. We know that. So we care what happens. And taking this tangent a little bit, since you're on the Finney Ridge Community Council uh, and working to slow the pace of development. On the other side, going back to your earlier conversation of, of differences, uh, there's people with difference of opinion in that they want to see more and more housing. Help somebody understand where you're coming from. Well, the, the issue we've been working on lately, which we're trying to get the mayor to veto, that as they build on different properties, we wanted them to have owner-occupied. Because if there's not an owner occupying living there, then the developers come in and they just take everything down. And it destroys the neighborhood, this sense of coming together. But if you have an owner occupied section, that you can, you can build more and you could build small houses, tiny houses. But you have the person living there and so it has a much different effect. And so we've been very, very upset that we've been ignored and we really have been ignored. Um, and it's interesting, density becomes a, a code word. And it's like, of course we want density, but how much density is enough? I mean, how many people, how much can you, you know, you smoosh in there before you've ruined everything? And it's not, a, not in my backyard. And the irony is, if you think that you're going to make much affordable housing around there just by building something, that's a real a real challenge and that we should have more you know more help building things for for the homeless but it's we're not going to do anything about the homeless when you build stuff in Finney Ridge and and Greenwood so why is that um, because everything is still going to be so expensive and and so you know hardly anybody can afford to live there then at all and certainly not the homeless um, there's just not enough they're just going to always charge too much money for people living there and, and, and mo all of us, almost all of us involved, could never afford to move in now. We've been living there for years. And, but I think it's interesting because, again, people think, oh, they must be selfish over there. But is it worth something to try to you know, 
create a community in which people know each other and care about each other and help each other out, that's, that's one kind of community. It's not just building more housing. What are we going to do if we have more and more and more people in this town? And as I say, I don't want to sound like a not in my backyard, but it's the question, how much is enough that we should all be talking about? And, you know, send them to Spokane. <laughs> Spokane will welcome these people. Um, but we can't take them all in. And, and so what is your vision for Finney and Greenwood, Finneywood, uh, as you call it, uh, in light of the fact that there's a lot of growing companies here, a lot of interest in the, the climate, the sea to ski activities, the music, the art, the culture here. Yeah. So what's your vision of uh, Finneywood in light of, all the interest right. in Seattle and Finneywood. Right. I think it is just, you know, my particular concern, I mean, obviously there are other things, is that can people have a place to come together and gather and talk? And that that's really, really important, but a lot of people don't know how important it is. That if you have Finneywood going in one direction and, and people really care about each other, that in itself is a an example that other people can follow, that it's impossible just to have as many people in here as people want. You know, when I think of this whole idea that we've got to stand for community, and we've got to stand for caring, and for civic engagement, and that we can be an example of that because of the way we treat each other, that that seems really important to me. Because people not only will be healthier and, and, and their welfare, human welfare, but they'll go out and they'll treat other people differently as well. That That's one of the ways that this kind of new culture spreads when we feel we're all in this together. And that you can only do that by coming together and working together. Any concluding thoughts? Oh, well, wow. I think it's so great that you're doing this. This is just wonderful. I mean, to have a place. People, people don't realize they're hungry for you know, experiences like you're giving them, that they want to hear something, they want to talk about it, and they want to get excited. So having a program like you're doing, I think, is, is really important. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, Cecile, thank you so much for your time and perspective. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. I'll be taking a break from Seattle Growth Podcast, but we'll return soon with new episodes. Make sure to subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app to be the first to know when new episodes appear. And as we look to a season seven, what topic do you want to deep dive into? Reach out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman to let me know. Or come tell me in person at the next screening of On the Brink on Thursday, August 15th at the Neptune Theater. Head to www.onthebrinkmovie.com screenings to register for a free ticket. And don't just take it from me. The stranger deemed it, and I quote, worth watching. And the Seattle Times hailed it as a cautionary tale and a call to action. Go to www.onthebrinkmovie.com slash screenings to get tickets. And before we close out this episode, I want to thank Pamela Burton for her help with the audio, Ed Cromer for his work on the UW Foster School of Business blog, Rebecca Gorley, Michelle Ma, Victor Balta, and Peter Kelly for their work sharing the podcast. I also want to acknowledge the voice you heard at the introduction to this episode. That was Dre's, who appeared on Season 4 of Seattle Growth Podcast, which explored the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene. I also want to say thanks again to Faraway Entertainment. They have charming theaters throughout the region, including Bainbridge Cinemas, Historic Linwood, and Varsity Theater in the U District. 
I am thrilled that they will be opening their doors to On the Brink at the Historic Admiral on September 8th. Visit farawayentertainment.com to learn more about their theaters and to get tickets to see On the Brink on September 8th. I also want to thank the Seattle Theater Group, who will be hosting a screening of On the Brink at the Neptune Theater on Thursday, August 15th at 8 p.m. And I can't forget to thank Mohai, who will be showing On the Brink for their visitors on Saturday, October 19th. And if Scott Harrison is listening, thanks for bringing together an amazing panel that will be led by California African American Museum Executive Director George Davis, following the Los Angeles showing of On the Brink on September 21st. To everyone who's listening, if you have friends in Los Angeles and want them to learn more about your city, tell them to head to www.onthebrinkmovie.com to register to see the film and the discussion on gentrification. That's September 21st in Los Angeles's Lamert Park. Thanks to all the wonderful guests who made this season possible by generously sharing their time and their perspective. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I want to thank you, the listener, for joining me on this journey in the sixth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.